when it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello, everyone. It is Anita from She and Her. Happy summer. I am introducing you to our mini summer series. We've been in the studios of WHUP this summer, catching up, playing music, and talking about what's going on in our lives. And we wanted to invite you into some of those conversations as a mini summer bonus series as we are in between seasons. So think of these two episodes as you just hanging out with us and eavesdropping on our conversations. We're really excited to get back to you with new content in the fall. Um, But until then, hope you're having a wonderful summer. Let us know what you're up to, um, and we'll talk to you soon. Enjoy the episodes. Yay. <laughs> We're just catching up live on the air. Sandra did a cool event today that I'm excited to hear about I meeting did. with various journalists um, covering the Latinx community. Reproductive justice. So I went yes. so we someone from El Pueblo reached out to us through she and her and wanted to bring together a group of journalists and communication specialists who like have addressed reproductive justice topically okay. in their content or do so in their nonprofit work. So I was there. There were two women from Advance NC uh-huh. um, who apparently all month, they're doing a full month of coverage solely on reproductive justice in North Carolina. Oh, cool. Right now. There was a woman from the ACLU and there was a guy, Emilio Vicente, yeah, from Familia Trans Queer something and something. But yes, they do um, organizing. I think in the Latinx community yeah. around sexuality. And He's amazing. He was in Sly way back when. He that's so. he told me he met you yeah. and he thought it was through that. That's cool. But he said hello. Ah, so basically, they the the person who facilitated the panel just was asking us how we approach in our work talking about women's health care have we done any stories around reproductive Hmm. health care what are some of the challenges of covering that topic and it was really interesting to hear people's different perspective yeah like the advance 
NC women who have a publication that's they only publish stories written by women. So is it it's a nonprofit that has a publication arm? I think or, so. Okay. Yeah. And they were saying like right now when they they've been preparing for this month long series on reproductive justice, they're they've really had to strategize around trolls. So that's been mm-hmm. a huge part of their preparation. Wow. Yeah. And then you know the woman from the ACLU was basically like we're just on the defense so much right now so it's kind of exhausting and then I just talked about how on our show what we do is just try to provide a platform because we you know strive to remain objective we provide a platform that allow women to truthfully honestly and safely talk about the choices that they make in any number of areas in their life. Like I talked about how we had a woman on there who was, you know, undocumented. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I started thinking about, I was like, you know, we've kind of talked to, we've never done an abortion show. No, I think we've, we've talked about doing that, but we don't think we ever explicitly have. No, but we've done a lot of shows around motherhood. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking about your sister's show. Yeah. When she talked about her miscarriage. Um, the period show. The period show. Uh, Tina Haver Curran. That's right. The Saturday chores. She did that. So I was like putting those all together. I was like, yeah. oh, I guess we have kind of come at this. And the pubic care. Like yes. in the way that she talked about sexual education. Yes. Yeah. And it made me also think about bringing on Arielle from my hometown who yeah, d- yeah, yeah. just like yeah, yeah, this, yeah. she has had w- chose to keep her child when she was pregnant at 16. Yeah. So. That's really cool. Who was it? Who attended? There. I, I wish that I had a chance to be there at the very beginning because okay. they didn't like they just dove right into my panel and I got there like 10 oh, minutes okay. before. So, so it was so part of like a bigger sense. conference or something? Yes. Okay. Yes. Very cool. So, but I walked in on this conversation where this one woman who was a, a participant was asking another um, person, like a, someone on a different panel there who worked. I, I have to look this organization up, but it's an organization that is fully staffed and run by trans people. And they work with trans people who've had abortions. Wow. And I was like, wow, that must be... Wow. So um, fascinating and interesting to learn about. And I'd have so many questions. And this lady was asking, like, I, you know, we struggle to talk about just abortion and reproductive justice in our work generally. And then when you add the layer of LGBTQ language, it can be super confusing. And I'm just so scared. I'm always going to mess it up. Hmm. And the person from that organization was like, I just so appreciate you being honest about that. I totally understand. And it was really nice moment to walk in on but and then another one of the questions that the facilitator asked specifically for the latinx panelists that i was talking with um was what are some of the cultural challenges that you have in your work like with the latin community talking about this and the one and the woman from the aclu was just talking about how like the um you know, in the Latin, in her experience, if you got pregnant and you don't want to keep the baby, well, you just shouldn't have had sex. Mm. And that's just the way that it is. Yeah. And then um, your friend Emilio, uh-huh. he was talking about how he's like, look at this room. The only men in this room are me and the facilitator. It's all women. Mm. And it's so challenging to make this issue in that this community 
a men's issue. Yes. But it was so cool because I had, like, headphones on, so there was active translating going on the whole time because half of it was conducted in Spanish. Oh, that's so cool. Yes. That's awesome. They're doing... That organization is really incredible. Like, I feel like William is that his name? Yeah, he's, like, really on it. Yes. I appreciate that. So tell us about your day, though, because you had a busy day, too. Like, a big day, I would say. Signif. Signif. Um, Yeah, so we launched a new series that we're doing while I'm hosting. Um called embodied uh it was fun it was like really crazy because everyone aside from one guest was in studio today (laughs) but then the one guest who was not in studio was uh at virginia beach apparently in a beach house with 26 people whoa and so we were very explicit with her like you must kick them all out of the beach house so you can be alone but then apparently since there's nothing like there's no real landlines anymore everything is like like whatever voip or anyways i can like internet interference can affect the quality of the line so clearly someone was like streaming something on netflix <laughs> so her her sound was just not good so halfway through the first segment i was panicking because i could like there were dropouts and she was my only guest so i basically like made someone who wasn't coming on till later like come into the studio and then they like canceled this woman and called her back on her cell phone so it was like a little bit chaotic um so okay so Anita, yes. I don't think you said this, or maybe oh. you said this at the top, but you're guest hosting the state of yes. things for a month. And for this a month, Embody series is a special series within that whole month of you hosting. Exactly, out of town. Yes, and um, why don't you tell us about the topic that you address today and what each guest yeah in relationship to the topic? Was. Sure. So yeah, today was about sex ed in North Carolina, its history, what it looks like in the classroom now. Um, and then kind of people exploring how to teach sex ed in, like, alternative ways. So we start with, started with a woman. So first of all, crazy. I didn't – I really didn't know much about sex ed in North Carolina until the show. So up until 2009, it was abstinence-only education in North Carolina. That's my experience. Yeah. As of 2009, the legislature passed the Healthy Youth Act, which said it's abstinence first, but sex ed must also include – Descriptions of like FDA approved contraception, accurate information about STIs, some stuff about healthy relationships, but it's essentially up to individual districts to choose how to design their curriculum and how it's implemented. So the first person we talked with is a researcher who basically looked at, okay, this happened in 2009. What is it looking like on the ground? And she basically found that it's like totally haphazard. Some schools hadn't even heard of the Healthy Youth Act. Wow. Um, oh, God. There used to be this thing. There was funding for this thing called the Healthy Living Coordinator, whose job it is essentially is like to coordinate on a district level like what the curriculum is and how it's being implemented. The funding for that has gone totally out the window. So there were some places where it was literally like a gym teacher trying to do a condom demonstration and then other places like in the triangle where it's like this fully, you know, well-developed, very comprehensive curriculum. So it's like even if, you know, state law is this is what it is. It looks totally different. There's no follow-up. There's no real teeth to the law. So she essentially found, like, it looks drastically different wherever you are. And essentially what's happening is on a county-by-county level, particular, there's no, um, like, there's a thumb drive that the State Department of Education gives to people with, like, uh, information and slides. But sometimes schools are allowing religious organizations to come in and essentially be the ones to program and facilitate the sex ed in classrooms so it's i mean it's just like super haphazard so she was kind of giving us an overview of her research and what she found 
And then we transitioned to talk with this woman who works at Shift NC, which is kind of the primary um, organization that the state contracts to uh, support sex ed uh, in the state. And she was kind of giving us a sense of overall trends and the numbers and um, the challenges, which is basically in the past couple of years, they've been these there have been these really vocal minorities of parents who want more local control over what schools are teaching, who are protesting the inclusion of any LGBTQ-related content in sex ed curriculum, and who are trying to change the system from... So right now in North Carolina, as a parent, you have the choice to opt your kid out of sex ed at any point. But the way it works is kids are sent home with a permission slip, and the default is that if you don't return the permission slip, you're defaulted in. Legislators are trying to change the system so that the reverse. The reverse. They're actively trying to change. So it? there was a bill that was passed a couple of months ago, and apparently, as of right now, it hasn't really moved or had much legs. But there's kind of this like growing movement to do that, and all kind of <sighs> under the guise of we like why shouldn't local um, why shouldn't parents have more control? Why shouldn't and what Elizabeth will say is like, listen, if you really don't want your kid to have just this check. education, no, on the form, right? But the kids that this ends up hurting it's kids whose parents work an overnight shift. Um, you know, like it ends up hurting the people who are like most vulnerable and most need this education. If they were to flip the way that it works, exactly. And so then we had a sex educator come that in. Is a straight up asinine waste of time. <laughs> I know, I know. And then they're trying to create this new elaborate system where there are like county level advisory boards where anytime you want to introduce new things to the sex ed curriculum or redesign it, you have to have a hearing on a county level where there's all of this kind of like weigh in. And what Elizabeth will say, she's like, listen, we do surveys and like 90% of parents want their kids to learn about sex ed in school. Parents don't actually want to teach them because they don't feel like they have accurate information. They're freaked out. And if you look at the numbers, 40% of North Carolina high schoolers have had sex. Wow. And 30% are actively having sex. So like people are having sex. And 100% of them will. Exactly. And all of the data proves that getting sex ed does not make you more likely to have sex. So it's like, there's just like, the science is not there to back any of this up. So then we have this woman from Columbus County. It's super interesting. So she grew up in Columbus County. She's a black. Eastern? Yes. Rural. Yeah, rural, southeastern. Okay. Um, A black woman grew up in Columbus County in absence-only sex ed, um, and then now has kind of worked her way... Um, into working for the health department and working for the school system to do sex ed. Um, started in faith communities and now um, is in classrooms. And, like, the teen pregnancy rate has dropped, I think, 13% since wow. she started. And so she talked a bit about kind of what's in the classroom. And I asked them some questions toward the end about, like, the Internet has changed so much. Like, you can see porn, you can whatever. And so, like, part of sex ed needs to be, like, porn literacy and thinking yes. about... But how it's like when you're still on a statewide level fighting the fight to even not just do abstinence only. It's just like, it's absurd. Oh, it's so absurd. And that there's pushback when you do LGBTQIA inclusive stuff. So that was the whole B segment. And then in the C, we talked. (laughs) Uh, This was a bit of an adventure. So there's the Women's Theater Festival happening in Raleigh this weekend. And one of the plays was written by a 21-year-old. And it's about um, like sexual awakening among a group of young girls in a Catholic boarding school and told through the perspective (laughs) of like this rebellious girl who comes in who's from public schools and 
she comes in to meet all these kids who won't even use tampons because the nuns have told them they can't use them. Wow. And she decides that she's going to teach them about, like, pleasure and masturbation. Um, so originally, the scene that they had prepared to do, uh, thank God we got it yesterday because it was, like, so not public radio friendly. So we changed the scene. But so she did that scene um, and I just started talking about her clitoris and pleasure. And then this woman was in there who, t- who was talking about a curriculum she's designed to do like interactive theater mm-hmm. in schools. Um, so, yeah, it was fun. It was very it was very lively. Uh, I bet it was. Yeah. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. But Thrive came up at the thing I was at today. Thrive. Shift. Thrive. Shift. 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 Yeah, yes. yeah, 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 yeah. It did. Yeah, they're, I mean, they're doing a lot. Yeah, they're like the major player in this game in the state. And this woman was so, I mean, it's just, it's just so interesting when you look at the numbers. It's like there, it makes no, any arguments for absentee sex education make zero sense. Zero sense. I mean, it is, I don't really even fundamentally see the logic like I kind of get it and then like maybe parent be only because I'm so sure I would put every dollar in my bank account on this bet that the people who don't want their kids to get abstinence who, who want them only to get that at school and don't want that to be talked about at school are not I would bet 90% of them aren't talking about that with their kids no. other than saying like just don't have sex exactly and but ninety percent of Americans have had sex before marriage. Wow! Like even you know like married Americans. Married. Okay. Really? Yeah. What about that other ten percent? I don't know. I'm sure they have, but it's like the statistically, it's more interesting that like they have. You know, like they they are married and they say that they had sex before they got oh, married. Oh, I see. Yeah, I see what you mean. Yeah. Okay. So it's, it's just. Do you have any other embodied topics that you are yeah. going to? Yeah, we have we have all four. So I'm hosting for four weeks, and we have we're going to do them every Thursday. What are some so of the next topics? week is fertility. Oh, nice. Um, so we're going to be talking about the science and technology of fertility. Um, we're going to be talking with a woman, Belle Boggs. She's a writer mm-hmm. um, who's written about mm-hmm. her own experience of infertility and kind of the history of the eugenics movement in North Carolina and like state policy around fertility. Um, a black woman who's actually misses. Mrs. North Carolina, I think, who has, like, really struggled with her own fertility and multiple miscarriages and kind of made that a part of her platform and talked about how we think of fertility as a white woman's problem. Um, Someone that looks at, like, the social 
or the psychological ramifications of infertility, and then a woman who looks at men's infertility and nice. um, the kind of silent, uh, the silent like groups that are silenced in this conversation, including like LGBTQ people. So apparently, like to get insurance to cover your fertility treatment, if you're a hetero couple, you have to prove you've like tried for X amount of time unsuccessfully. As a queer couple. You have to prove that you have, like, it's basically like you have to have spent an absurd amount of money already on treatment that hasn't worked. Wow. And so they talk about, like, how we don't, there's just no existing kind of mechanism to be, to think about that queer fertility. So that's next week. And then we're going to talk about the science of sex, I think, and looking at, like, how little basically that book there's this book called come as you are that's all about like women's sexuality and how little we know um about like the actual biology of our sex and reproductive organs Mm. and then we're going to talk about aging and relationships so like how relationships change as you age i love that yeah very cool so it's gonna be fun i think it's um yeah i'm curious to see what the reception is me too <laughs> you're spicing yeah. it up over there that yeah is for sure week one really just it's hilarious too because at the end of the week we always like go over our demographic numbers and look back at the week and it, like we're having to make a really concerted effort to book white men while you i'm host, while i'm hosting and it's cracking me up oh my god that's you know and it's just like you realize like wow it really does make a difference who's sitting in the host seat like based totally. on like the topics they prioritize and the topics that I'm encouraging people and then the people that the producers think that I'll have rapport with on the air. And it's just like, like this week, I think we only have, we've had two white men out of like 15 guests. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, so at the, the very last question that they asked on the panel today was what gives you hope? And I was talking, I, I said that you know, tracking the U.S. women's soccer team and how vocal they have been about their disenfranchisement within the league because of their gender and how quickly the fans and the audiences have latched on to that and echoed that and amplified that message. And then I talked about how the New York Times is doing those obituaries where they are revisiting people that they never covered in their obit section that they should have people, women, people who are from the LGBT community or um, people of color. And then I was like, and also Anita, for instance, is doing this series on the state of things about sex and bodies. And and I've talked about the short film that won the Oscar this year that was about periods. Yeah. Um, I mean, I feel like there is more and more consensus and coverage and volume on just women's voices and women's stories and I think that is encouraging to me it's so funny because as I was like googling around on NPR yesterday just to see like what existed about sex coverage and apparently in March they did this eight-part series on all things considered called let's talk about sex and it was like eight different features one of them looked at, like, what the kink community can teach us about consent. Yeah, I heard that one. One of them looked at, um, 
like porn and the effect of porn on how we think about sex. One of them profiled a couple who waited um, until they were married to have sex. But the first thing that came up when I was looking through the series was this two-page long post that the NPR like editorial board had to write in response to all of the feedback that they got, which was like, I cannot believe you are devoting this much airtime to talking about this. I was like, oh my God. Mm -hmm. If we calculate the total amount of airtime, that's 64 minutes of airtime over like more than a month. Oh yeah. I think it's great. I think it's bold. I think we have to be bold because it just, just talking about it is pushing the needle forward as far as I'm concerned. And I, you can't, not talk about it. I had this experience. We ran a story this week on Come Here North Carolina, an interview I did with Laura Balance and Mac McCon for Merge from Merge Records and Superchunk. And there was a a I always have to run these edited interviews that I do up the chain of command because I work for state government and they have to be approved before they go to public. And there was a a point in there where I'd asked both of them what made North Carolina a great community for them to have merge records and make music. And Mac McCon was talking about how, you know, they started as a punk rock and roll band in the eighties. And at that time, a lot of punk bands were protesting Ronald Reagan, but we had our very own homegrown Jesse Helms (laughs) to protest. And I, I, it's so, I was really surprised at how afraid I was that like we wouldn't get to run that. Really? I did. And huh. and and we and my director was like, "No, we can put that in there." But I just don't know because people are so cautious about you know, saying anything bad about anybody. Mhm. When I like at least in the universe that I work in, you have to be so careful because we are funded by the legislature and mm-hmm. we are in budget season right now and we don't know what our budget is going to be. So it's just, and and one of the things that came up in that panel today was like the Will from El Playbo was talking about how they've just had to be more and more explicit about the problems that their community and their constituents mm. face because he's like, you know, we used to write press releases and like, no, like we deserve rights. Like we're good people, <laughs> da, 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 da. And now it's like, no. It's xenophobic and racist to da 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 da, and I was just thinking about the the need. Well, my God, here I am making a political correctness <laughs> point. I think that's where I'm headed. Yeah, and I do feel like there's a kernel of truth to that. But I think that we should feel that way about things like sex education and. Well, I gender. think it's it's hard because you feel, and I was struggling with this in the lead up to the show today, like this. It's this push-pull between feeling like we need to sound balanced in order for people to take us seriously. And I think that, like, I think it's true that, like, a, something that good journalism does well is help you develop empathy for people who think really differently from you. But in this conversation about sex ed, it was like we were reaching out to various stakeholders and no one – and it's like the voice that I was hoping to hear from was, like, a very um, thoughtful, balanced parent – who would come on and say, like, share why they felt uncomfortable with their kid getting this education. But it's like no one who no one is willing to talk like that. The people that are willing to talk are these like firebrand legislators. Well, they didn't even want to talk because they're in the middle of budget season who are like advocating for these policies that are so 
I don't know, that just like change the conversation in a way that doesn't even make sense. And it's like, well, it would be unfair to spend six out of 20 minutes talking about this opt-out legislation when that's so far from the reality of like yes. what's going on. But it's like, yes. it's, it's this question of how do you provide balance and be fair while also not allowing like something so radical to distract you from the reality. The reality. Well, and it's like that NPR series where people, they had to write, the, the editors had yeah, to write a note about right. it. It's like, it just probably feels unfair or shocking or unbalanced by simply existing. Exactly. It's not even what they're saying. Exactly. It's the fact that it's existing and it's being said. That in and of itself, I feel like is, you know, an alarm for a lot of people. Right. And in an environment where you, there are people who don't feel like their kids should learn about LGBTQ or, or so that's not even it. The people who feel like teaching LGBTQ kids how to feel safe when they have sex is a problem. Like, how do you, am I supposed to provide pushback on that? Like, <laughs> right. you know, it's right. like, right. it's really, yeah, it's very tricky. And it's like the whole, especially with like political coverage with the Trump, I was thinking about this tomorrow, we're talking with, we do this like segment every other Friday with Ken Rudin, our political junkie, and we pick like four or five topics to talk about. Um, and when, when I was going through, it was like the topics that we were triaging today, like we're changing every 30 minutes, like based off of like the latest news. And I was thinking about this, like, wait a second, if we're allowing, it's like allowing Trump's decision to hold a press conference to say like, okay, I'm going to give up on my fight to um, pursue the census question. If like that takes priority over them announcing that they're going to have these ice, ice raids, raids, it's like, wait a second. No, I mean like, for Ken, he can't really talk about the ice raid, so whatever. Separate question. But, yeah, like that, it was that, from based on that um, Call Your Girlfriend episode, they talked about, like, this distraction tactic. Yes. And yes. how... It, scatter, it scatters the narrative. It does. It scatters the It message. does. And you have no sense of what to focus on, because if you're just focusing on what is the latest news, like, objectively, what happened most recently... Yes. You're not going to focus on what's actually the most important story that has yes. the biggest impact on people's lives... I I heard the tail end of an interview with a principal, I guess, who is the the principal of a school in a northeastern state um, that must have a lot of undocumented kids in mm-hmm. it. And she herself has a green card, but she, you know, doesn't. She still feels like she's at risk. And her son has been asking her what's going to happen to her. Her son is a is has citizenship, but so the reporter. It was the world. Uh huh. He, I love that anchor. I can't remember his name, but Marco, Marco Werman. Yes, he asked her. He's like, "Well, do you really feel like you're going to be okay?" Because that's what she's been telling her son, and she paused for a long time, and she's like, "I mean, if I'm being honest, I think it's it's way more serious than that because I've put everything on the line." Hmm. And I was like, "She really has." Yeah. I mean, and and that is, that's one of those. But like to me, that's the real story. Like the citizenship question, obviously, is a huge question and it's a big issue. But something's about to happen next week that it's going to ruin people's lives, right? You know, or or dramatically change people's lives. Okay, well, great chat, great chat. <laughs> we really covered covered it all. Um, I'm gonna play. So, do you know Kaiki Vidal? Do you know mm-hmm. this guy? Ugh. 
I'm obsessed. So he's Brazilian. He moved to uh, Durham in 2009 uh, for love. He met a woman named Joy when he was playing a concert and just like sang a love song to her and then she responded and whatever. They've been living in Durham since 2009. He... um, has a band and a drum group that practices every week at Durham Central Park, and they released their first EP last year. Uh, and I really like his music, so we're gonna, we'll play you all a little bit of that. Usambo diferente. Enjoy. Nailed it. <laughs> Mas tudo bem, isso pode até ser samba, mas é frio Sambe comigo que meu samba fica quente Olha o batuque vai fazendo esse sambinha, mas eu não vejo você Eu sambo diferente, minha princesa Mas tudo bem, isso pode até ser samba, mas é frio Sambe comigo que meu samba fica quente Que estranho Quando eu não vejo você, eu sambo diferente. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com.